Welcome to this episode of Founded in Tech. I am your host, Mark Eckerly, and today's show is part of our Tech Tips series where I sat down with Dan Krolikowski to talk about qualified small business stock. On today's episode, we discussed the qualifications for a company stock to qualify as qualified small business stock or QSBS, who is eligible to participate, and then tax planning considerations to help get the most benefit from your QSBS. This conversation was very exciting in talking with Dan, a lot of great takeaways, and I hope you enjoyed as well. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. Today, I am joined by a recurring guest, Dan Krolikowski, to talk about qualified small business stock. Dan, how are you doing today? Mark, I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Doing good. So Really appreciate you having me again. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back to the program. So before we jump into qualified small business stock, why don't you refresh our listeners a little bit on your background, what you do here with them, your, your role, your title, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. So my name is Dan Krolikowski. I'm the team leader of Witham's Founders and Tech Executive Group. And we really deal with individuals and, and offer them private client services. A lot of the things we specialize in are qualified small business stock, equity compensation, and other related items. Okay. So jumping to the beginning, what is qualified small business stock? Why don't you give us the definition and, and what kind of classifies stock as uh, or companies' stock as small business? Yeah, definitely. It's one of the hottest, you know, issues right now, Mark. So if everybody doesn't know what it is, it's basically a C corporation stock, a domestic uh, C corporation stock, where you may actually be able to eliminate paying tax on a portion or possibly all of your gain of that stock. So you know, really briefly, that's what it is. Okay. So what what are the qualifications then in order for a company stock to qualify as a instead of, instead of continuing to resay, I'm just gonna say QSBS. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what everybody calls it. Sometimes you'll see it called QSBS. You'll see it called Qualified Small Business Stock. You even hear founder shares and there's a ton of other names for it too. Um, but basically QSBS, um, the other requirements besides being from a domestic C corporation at the company level is that there's a small business requirement for the company. So basically what that means is the QSBS is issued by a domestic C corporation. It's not a mutual fund. It's not a real estate investment trust or a couple other different entities um, that it can't be. And that the gross uh, the gross assets of this company have not exceeded $50 million anytime from inception to the current year of issuance. There's also an original issuance requirements, which basically means you need to receive it directly in original issuance from the C corporation. Which, which of those requirements that you, you laid out which one is the most common to trip companies up or which one should they be most on the lookout for? Is it the, the 50 million in assets or, or which one would it, would it be? Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's, a, and there's actually some other requirements too, Mark. Um, one's oh, an active okay. trader business requirement. I cut you off a little bit. <laughs> no, all good, all good. So there's actually um, an active trader business requirement as well. To qualify as a qualified small business stock, the corporation itself actually has to be an active business. So it can't really be like just a holding company, basically, you know, it's gotta be doing an, an operating activity. And basically 80% of those assets of the company needed to be used in the operations. And then the last thing is that there's no significant stock redemption. So a lot of times what you'll see, these companies will check all the boxes to be a qualified small business stock. But what sometimes happen is there's these significant stock redemptions. Um, whether it's by one shareholder or a few major shareholders. And if that happens, that can actually taint the QSBS for everybody after that. So a lot of times, you know, 
that's what trips companies up is you have these these founders and, and everybody that kind of wants to cash out. Um, sometimes if that happens, that could take the QSBS status. Okay, so th- so by the founders kind of tripping up a little bit there, they can ruin it for everyone involved. Exactly. And, it, you know, it may not just be the founders. It could be any significant stock redemption. So even if it's for a group of people, uh, maybe the company's trying to clean the cap table out or something, it's just something that is always should be a consideration. Okay. So so outside of company specifications, um, is there, there, there any time commitment behind holding stock in order to qualify for, for QSBS? Yeah, when we're talking to qualify for QSBS, besides um, the company requirements, the individual or you know other allowable entity that can hold QSBS actually has to hold the stock for five years in order for it to qualify as QSBS when subsequently sold. Okay, and that's from, from date of grant? Actually, no. It would, if it was stock options, it would be from date of exercise. So if it's just common stock, it would be the date that you receive the stock if it's not subject to restrictions. If it's subject to restrictions, it could be when those restrictions lapse or if it's subject to vesting, it could be when the stock or option actually vested. So, you know, it's definitely a huge consideration for people to make um, in order to get that five years. When do I actually start my holding period? Yeah, so so it's it's after, it's fully vested or unrestricted stock essentially. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay, and that's the beginning of the five-year period. Exactly. And just to show you an example, say um, a listener has non-qualified stock options, right? Whenever those non-quals are granted to to them, they're not they don't own QSBS. They don't actually own the stock until it's exercised. So that's typically how it would work in, in a stock option scenario. And do you see? Because I could easily see uh, listeners getting tripped up where the the five year period doesn't kick off until it's fully vested or unrestricted, because that, that's quite a significant time period where maybe they they sell the stock or, or do something else with it, and that five year period wasn't fully met. So is, is that do you come across that a lot where where maybe they get to that three or four year mark? It's <laughs> all the time, all the time. And, you know, there's other, you know, things to think about um, whenever you're selling stock, right? So it may not always be just to get to that five-year holding period, get to the QSBS exemption or else that should be a consideration. If you actually hold stock for over a year under the current tax law, you can get long-term capital gain rates, which are preferential rates. Um, they're obviously not zero, which could be the case with QSBS, but, you know, that's nothing to laugh about. Um, and then there's other options if you don't actually hold QSBS for five years. So, you know, if you're getting stock in a tax-free reorganization, the gain that you would recognize on the date of that sale, that could actually be QSBS gain if you were to, that, to then hold the new stock that you receive for a total holding period of five years. Um, and there's things called 1045 rollovers where you can actually um, take the gain that you recognize on a sale of stock that's QSBS and you haven't held it for five years. Um, and then you can actually roll those proceeds into a new QSBS. And if it meets certain qualifications, you can actually defer paying tax on the gain currently. And then that new stock could possibly be QSBS, which will qualify for QSBS exclusion in the future. So there's definitely a lot of planning um, that you could do with QSBS if you don't meet the five-year holding period. Okay. I was just going to say, yeah, you you covered a lot there and, and planning always comes back to it. But jumping back quickly into that, what would be the... um that QSBS gain, that's the difference in the, the fair value from fully vested and unrestricted stock to what the fair, va- fair market value of that stock is today? Yeah, definitely. So anytime you calculate gain on the sale of stock, you're always going to take 
the proceeds that you receive now, less whatever basis you have in the stock is. So if you paid anything for the stock, that's going to add to your basis. Um, if you exercise stock options or if you actually you know, perform services for that stock and, and, and recognized income. So you could have basis in that stock. So typically when you calculate gain in general, you take the proceeds that you receive less your basis um, that you have in the stock. So if, if you held that stock for five years and that's QSBS, that's the gain that you could exclude. Okay. And then how does that parlay over? You said it was, I think it was 1045, form 1045. How does that parlay over to that form exactly? Yeah. Definitely. So say or roll that, or roll, you said roll the gain over, correct? Yeah, exactly. So you would take those proceeds that you've had on the sale and you could roll that into new QSBS if you didn't meet that five-year holding period. You have to make that rollover within 60 days of the sale or else it won't count under 1045. And then you can actually defer paying tax on the gain that you would have recognized on the sale of the old company. Now the replacement company stock that you have actually will not have basis um, because you deferred paying tax, you know, originally on the sale of the first company. So your basis is zero in the new company stock. But if you were subsequently to hold that um, and it qualified as QSBS and the old stock and the new replacement stock, you know, you held it for at least five years total, um, you could actually then get a QSBS exemption on the gain of the sale of the replacement stock. So that's typically loosely how 1045 works. Okay. But, but that would only apply if the stock you sold qualifies as qualified small business stock and you held it for five years. So if you're selling after three or four years, that, that scenario does not necessarily apply, correct? It, all, it actually does apply in that scenario. So it would be if you didn't hold it for five years. If you held it for five years, you could actually you could possibly exclude the gain on the sale. So you, you wouldn't okay. necessarily need to do a 1045 rollover. So this is strictly for QSBS that isn't held for five years. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense then. And and I guess the ultimate question is, is who can hold qualified small business stock? Is it just founders? Like you said, founder shares. Um, who individually qualifies? Is it employees granted uh, non-qualified stock options that, that exercise them? What, what would that look like and who's eligible to, to participate? Yeah. So really anybody, any individual can hold qualified small business stock and also partnerships and S corporations. So, you know, some flow through entities can hold QSBS. And then finally, Estates and trusts can hold QSBS as well. Okay. Now, now jumping over to the tax side of things, the the exciting side of this conversation, how much or or what percentage of someone's gain? Um, I know we touched on this a little bit, where there's but you could possibly have right off zero and have no gain um, or yep. zero tax consequences. But what's excluded from tax, and and what are the inner workings there to to kind of uh, get the the most benefit or maximize your tax benefit? Yeah, so it really depends on how much you can exclude based on when you acquired the stock. So if you acquired the stock after September 27, 2010, you could probably exclude 100% of you know, your QSBS gain, up to $10 million per issuer exemption. Um, for acquisitions after February 18, 2009 through September 27, 2010, um, 75% of the gain up to the $10 million per issuer exemption can be excluded. And then finally, for acquisitions after August 10th, 1993, through February 17th, 2009, 50% of the gain can be excluded up to the $10 million per issuer exemption. And then there's no QSBS exemption for stock that's acquired before August 10th, 1993. Okay, and, and 
if someone were to go through that process, what does that look like on a tax form? What are the forms that this gain is reported on or, or the exclusions allowed on? What, what does that look like from a reporting side? Yeah, so the Schedule D is the summary capital gain schedule, and then the subschedules to that are Form 8949. So you would actually report this qualified small business stock exclusion on the 8949 schedule as an adjustment to the gain. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, just making and then sure. You code here, which perfectly fits qualified small business stock. So if you see, you know, a code Q on form 8949 with a negative adjustment, you're taking a QSBS exclusion. Okay. So, so I always ask this question to, to wrap up with all of our guests. Um, in your experience working with qualified small business, working with, with founders, employees who, who hold stock, what would you say is a common um, misstep or something they wish they had known from the beginning? I think the biggest thing here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna caveat it with, besides the five-year period and knowing when that begins, because um, I think that's obviously the biggest takeaway here of this, um, this conversation, is knowing when that five-year period starts and when it ends and, and what qualifies as small business stock. But, but what would you say outside of that um, is a common misstep that you think holders of qualified small business stock wish they had known sooner? Yeah, great question. I think the main thing there is how do you calculate the exclusion that you get per year on your tax return. And there's actually a calculation that people don't really, you never really read about it. People never think about it. Everybody just thinks, hey, I can exclude $10 million of on QSBS gain you know, per company. And really under um, 1202B, there's a greater than calculation that you can calculate every year. So you can actually exclude either $10 million per issuer per lifetime or 10 times your basis. So if you, if you exercise stock options, um, you may have a decent amount of basis. So there's definitely some thought process that gets in there and you may be able to exclude more than the $10 million per issuer lifetime exemption. Going off that, there's also ways that you can, you can get additional $10 million per issuer lifetime exemptions. That's what we call stacking. Um, so you can actually gift qualified small business stock and the recipient of that gift will get a carryover holding period, a carryover basis, and it will still be considered qualified small business stock. So a lot of times what you'll see, um, and that a lot of people do for income and estate tax planning, is they'll actually gift QSBS to an irrevocable non-grantor trust, which simply means that you're giving up control and then the trust is its own taxpayer. And then that trust can actually get another $10 million per issue or lifetime exemption. So, you know, I just want people to to kind of think outside the box a little bit and not just be so focused on all I can get on this is a $10 million or $10 million exclusion. You know, it could actually be a lot more than the $10 million with the 10 times basis calculation. And then there's actually ways that you may be able to get additional $10 million per issuer exemptions. So, so really quick, I know I said that was my last question, but I have two follow-up to that. For, for clarification for purposes, what is form uh, 1202B and on top of that, the, the calculation that you talked about, whether it's the, the 10X of cost basis or not, uh, is this calculation possible for someone to do on their own? Um, do you recommend bringing in professional? Um, I guess it depends on the extensive list, the extensiveness of their, their holdings, but um, how simple is it that calculation to perform? Uh, obviously, you'd want the, the advice of your tax professional as well as your, your reporting is on your tax form, but what does that look like? And, and Going back to my earlier question, what is Form 1202B? 
So there's no form 1202B. Um, as we talked about, everything's reported on Schedule D, 8949, and then you're responsible for calculating your own annual QSBS exclusion that you're going to put on your tax return. Um, 1202B is simply the code section that calculates what that annual exemption is going to be for you. Um, so we actually help clients all our time with that calculation. Just some tips in general when you're trying to think about maximizing that exclusion. A lot of times what we recommend is that you sell zero basis QSBS first, and then subsequently you would sell QSBS with basis. And what that would do, it would allow you to maximize your $10 million per issuer exemption for that stock. And then once that runs out, you can then additionally benefit off of 10 times basis. So you can actually get more than that $10 million. And then mm -hmm. the other thing to think about is if you have um, QSBS that's either 50% excludable, 75% excludable, or 100% excludable, you typically want to sell your 100% excludable stock first, followed by 75% and 50% in order to maximize that $10 million per issuer exemption. So there are definitely things that we would help our clients think about. Okay. Yeah, as you can clearly tell, I am not a tax professional, so. <laughs> so we still love you, Mark. <laughs> so do you, do you have any other any tips or tricks? I mean, I think we're, we're at the wrap of our conversation, and we covered a lot here today. Is there anything else besides working closely with your, your financial planner and your tax accountant to make sure you're maximizing this benefit? No, I think it's just really figuring out, like, what's your current situation now? And then going forward, you know, what are you planning for? What are your goals? I mean. 1202, you know, is a great tax savings, but it's not the only tax saving technique that's out there that's available. There's really nothing else. I mean, the only other thing that I could think about is is just maximizing your overall income tax and estate planning together. QSBS, if right now under current tax law, if if you were to die with um, appreciated stocks in your estate, you actually get a step up in basis right now. So, you know, there may be some kind of estate tax planning considerations that you can have, even before year end this year, where you can say, hey, I'm actually going to try to use my lifetime exemption, gift QSBS to get these additional $10 million exclusions, get it out of my estate. So, you know, the, my heirs can now benefit when they sell this QSBS, they won't pay any tax on it versus if I were to die with it in my estate. Now it's the basis is going to be equal to the fair market value. So unless there's any other appreciation from a mine hairs inherited, they're not going to get to benefit from that QSBS exemption. So, you know, that may be one other thing to think about as people are thinking about estate planning and income tax planning at the end of the year. And and for, for gifting, um, is there any cap on that? What if I own, uh, I have my hands in multiple pots and I have multiple QSBS of multiple companies. Is there a cap, uh, a dollar figure cap on that? Or can I gift that as many ways as, is possible. Yeah, so the way estate taxes work currently, and, and I stress currently, um, depending on you know what what the future holds, is that a person in 2020 um, can give 11 11.58 million dollars away without any estate tax consequences. If their estate is is greater than that, there's a 40% tax on their estate. Um, so really, you know, depending, just looking at like whatever your total holdings are, and just making sure that it's part of your overall plan. Okay. No, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I mean, and, and understanding it all comes back to financial planning. Um, there's a lot that goes in here. I think the, the biggest takeaway, like we'll, we'll continue to drive it home, is just understanding your, your five years that, of what qualifies as QSBS and what doesn't and making sure that you're, you're striking at the right time. Exactly. And, and really, you know, it's a 
they're, they're, it's one of the biggest um, income tax benefits that we have in the tax code right now. Um, so you'll see that everybody's actually setting up these companies to try to benefit from this code section. So I think if you are starting a company too, um, at the end of the day, you m may want to look at making sure that it meets this code section. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, that wraps up our discussion today on qualified small business stock. Thank you, Dan, for joining us again. If you'd like to learn more, please visit withem.com uh, for more information. And we have a specific founders team page uh, for you to check out. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in. If you liked it and want to hear more, you can follow us and subscribe. And we'll see you next time on Founded in Tech.